Well, good evening. Thank you for coming tonight, and I appreciate Darren's opportunity to, to preach. Now, did you notice that Gary and I got on our Madlock clothes tonight? Remember watching Madlock, and he always wore seersucker suits? So Gary and I went shopping at the Madlock men's store, and so <laughs> we have our Madlock clothes on, on tonight. We have folks from Nashville, and you have heard this sermon. You have heard this sermon, so you can sleep now. And so you have heard this sermon. We're, we're glad that they're here. Well, the ninth anniversary of TRIO was a wonderful occasion, has already been spoken to. It really was. I told Gary afterwards, I said, Gary, you almost turned it into a holy roller meeting. He really did. It was absolutely super. Now, we were visiting over here in the corner, and we used to sit down here. Well, the service started, and if I walked down the aisle, Gary was going to embarrass me, so we just sat down back there. And as the service went on, I, I got real sentimental. And I leaned over to Joyce and I said, Joyce, do you realize nine years ago tonight was our last service as the pastor and the first lady of First Church? I expected something real sentimental and sweet. She said, get over it. It's hard to live with Jesus, Jr. <laughs> the church service in the park today was absolutely fabulous. It was, it was grand. Darren wanted it to end in 55 minutes, and it ended in 55 minutes on the dot. It was super. I was sitting behind Sharon Smith. Sharon, where are you? Right here. Sharon Smith's family were one of the founding families of this church. 55 years ago, in the basement of the Florence Fire Department, First Church Gathered. be 55 years in June, last, in this, this June. And I said to her, I said, Sharon, look around. Thousands of people here. Did you have any? No one had any idea that it would eventually grow to this. And when I came, I had no idea that it would eventually grow to this. But these people, they had the faith and the fortitude I think the offering that day, Sharon, was something like $51, something like that. And so, just think from that little seed, look what the Lord has done in this place. Amen? Amen. How do you keep your head up when life's got you down? Now, when I preached at Burlington Baptist, I always had this, and there was one man there, Gary, kept saying, Campbell, what is in this? I said, Gary, it is none of your business what's in this. So... I want to take, I want to turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. I want to read verse 1 and then verses 8 through 12. How do you keep your head up when life's got you down? Paul says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus 
may also be seen in our bodies. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Will you pray with me? Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us tonight and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. The most sacred symbol in Oklahoma City is a tree, an American elm. Tourists travel for miles to see it. They want their picture taken beneath it. Artemis do everything they can to protect it. She adorns posters and letterheads in that city. There are other trees in Oklahoma City that are larger and greener and fuller, but none is as equally cherished. Now, the city cherishes that tree not because of its appearance, but because of its endurance. She endured the Oklahoma City bombing. On April the 19th in 1995 at 9.02 in the morning, Timothy McVeigh parked his bomb-filled truck just yards from that tree. That bomb killed 168 people. 19 of them were children. 680 people were wounded. The Alfred P. Murray Federal Building was destroyed and buried that tree in the rubble. No one even thought about that tree, let alone thinking if that tree would survive. There it stood, stripped of its branches, but it began to bud. Sprouts began to come through the damaged bark. Green leaves began to come through the soot. And what was seemed dead appeared life. And people noticed. Now that tree modeled the resilience the victims of that bombing desired. So they gave that tree a name, the survivor tree. Now what would it take for us to survive and be as resilient as that survivor tree? When your life absolutely blows up, what would it take for us to be able to stand the explosion that life brings to us. And sometimes life just blows up in our face. So what would it take for us to not only thrive and survive? Now, in the text that I read, Paul gives us a real slice of life. Sooner or later, all of us get roughed up by life, let alone this hell-bent world in which we live. So what happens? What do you do when life has got you down? How in the world do you keep your head up? Look at the screen, and I want you to pay attention to the words that are in bold print. Bold print. All right. 
All right. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not given to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Notice the words pressed, perplexed, hunted down, knocked down, but not destroyed. I want to draw three truths out of this great text tonight, and the first one is this. When life knocks you down, don't be surprised. Whoa! Don't be surprised. When life knocks you down, don't be surprised. Just expect it. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Don't. Don't be surprised by it. There are four words there that I pointed you out, pointed out to you that are just loaded with meaning. Paul says we are pressed. We are pressured. That is in the present tense. It means that it just keeps coming. The pressure just keeps coming. We are always under pressure. Someone is always putting pressure on us, or some life issue is putting pressure on us. Whether it's finances, whether it's deadlines, whether it's family responsibilities, our health nowadays, we live under pressure. The only people in Boone County that have no pressure are in our cemeteries, right? We all have pressure. But he also says we are perplexed. That absolutely means you have come to the end of your rope. You have no resources left. You've been there. You have no resources left. Your back is against the wall and you have no resources left. You don't know which way to turn to get out of this. He says we are hunted. In other words, we are persecuted. You ever had somebody on your case? <laughs> you ever had somebody on your case and you, you, you didn't know what's this all about? Whether it's your first grader who's met the bully on the playground or whether it's being grown up now and you're caught in the crosshairs of somebody's hatred or somebody's scorn and you don't know why, but somebody is just out to get you. So we experience pain and problems because we are pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, and then Paul says we are knocked down. In other words, we are put down. We are just thrown down and we did not expect it. <laughs> I hate to ask this. Can you remember junior high? That'll be a stretch for some of us. I could remember junior high. I can. I can't remember yesterday, but I can remember junior high. <laughs> and you remember one of your buddies would be talking to a girl, another boy would get down behind him on his all fours, and then another guy would come up and push him and he'd fall over and he would be so embarrassed in front of the girls and all us guys would just laugh at him and he would turn all kinds of colors. That is exactly what Paul is talking about here. You are put down. Somebody that you trusted, somebody you put your faith in, cut your legs out from under you. You did not expect it. See, this is real life. So real life, we are pressured, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we're put down. That is real. That is real. You've lived long enough to know that. And when it happens, don't be surprised. Let me pull the second truth out of this text. 
When life knocks you down, keep praying. When life knocks you down, keep praying. You say, now, LD, we got all dressed up. It's a job to get here. And came out in the heat. And you're saying something that sounds like Sunday school. Keep praying. That sounds so like Sunday school. Can't you give us something with a little more meat on it than that? This is what the text says. Richard Foster has written a great book on prayer. I would recommend it to you. That's all it's called is prayer. Richard Foster says this, Nothing is more central to the spiritual life than prayer. For prayer ushers us into the perpetual communion with the heart of God. Prayer ushers us into perpetual communion with the heart of God. And there are many things we can learn about this life of constant conversation with the Holy One. But we must be aware of making things too complicated. Like children coming to their parents, so we come to God. There is awe to be sure, but there is intimacy. We bring our heart's cries to a loving father, and like a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings, so our God cares for us, protects us, and comforts us. So no matter how much we study the challenging realities of prayer, let us forever come as children to a loving Abba, to a loving Father, who delights to give and to forgive. Hmm. That is exactly what Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He says this, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Now what were those revelations? Well, in Lystra, Paul was stoned. Well, that's really, I should have said that. Uh, that's a bad connotation. In Lystra, Paul got stoned. That's not good either. In Lystra, Paul was stoned to death. Outside the city, he was stoned to death. And while he was in that state, he was taken to paradise. And he said, I saw things I can't even talk about. So that's what he's talking about here. He said, so to keep me from becoming proud, because I saw all this wonderful stuff in paradise, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged, notice the word beg, <clears throat> I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. <laughs> my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Three times, Paul said, I beg earnestly I begged Lord take this away so what do you do when life's got you down you keep praying Paul said I didn't just pray I begged God to take it away and how did God answer Paul every time he said my grace is all you need Paul now Paul I understand what you're going through I understand but my grace is all you need. You see, folks, it's because God knows how you feel. He has been there. God could say that to Paul because he had been there in Jesus. Look what Paul, what the Hebrew writer says 
this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses. Why? For he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. He faced all the temptations we do. Jesus has been there. You ever been betrayed by a family member, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a family member, a good friend? Jesus understands the pain of betrayal by a best friend. Jesus understands the pain of denial. His friend Peter denied him three times with oaths and curses. I don't know this man. Jesus understands the pain of disappointment. You've been disappointed in somebody or by life? Jesus understands that. Jesus understands your physical pain like nobody else because he suffered like nobody else. Jesus understands your family problems. Family problems. I heard a guy the other day said, take my family. I was talking about it and he said, he said, I said, well, take my family. Or he said, take my family. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you can have them. I don't want them. Family problems. Jesus understands that. You know what? Jesus was teaching in a place, and his mother and his brothers and sisters showed up, and they sent word in there to have him come out because they were going to take him home because they thought he was crazy. He understands that. Jesus understands loneliness. Loneliness is a problem for people our age, isn't it? Many of you live alone. You understand loneliness. Jesus understands our loneliness. He knew the loneliness of the temptation in the wilderness all by himself. He understands the agony of loneliness that he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. He understands the utter pain of desolation when he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, if you ever doubt for one minute that Jesus understands what you are going through, he has been here in Jesus. He got to know us and he identifies with us. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. That's Jesus. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The message translation puts it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? He moved into the neighborhood to identify with us. And the reality is, life knocks the stuffings out of us. And when it does... We pray, and God assures us that his grace is sufficient. And that's okay. That is okay. Because I have discovered the same thing that you have discovered, that when life knocks me down and my heart is broken, the tears help me to see the issues differently. Isn't that right? And our tears become the lens of what might be and what should be. I don't have to tell you, life is going to knock you down. And when it does, you keep praying. You say, well, why? Because prayer gives us power. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Look at, look at verses 9 and 10. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. Imagine, and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And listen to this. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. God is best at demonstrating his power in our lives when we come to the end of our rope. Down through the years, I have said to many of you, when your back was against the wall, when you were at the end of your rope, I have said, tie your knot of faith and hang on. It's going to be a rough ride, but tie your knot of faith and hang on. And when it comes to that, that's when God's power shows up. You just don't know what to do. And grief is just crushing the life out of you. And all you can do is just groan. And you don't know if you can even get out of bed tomorrow. But then God's incredible comfort comes and you just can't explain it. When the biopsy is not good and you're scared to death, God somehow can come to that situation and bring a peace that you can't understand till you've been in that situation. When your marriage is on the rocks and you don't see humanly how it's going to survive, that's when you know God's power. I don't know who said this, but it's a great quote. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until he's all you've got. Amen? You'll never know <clears throat> that Jesus is all you need until he's all you've got. And when you come to that place, God's power is absolutely priceless. When life knocks you down, keep praying. And eventually, you will hear God say to you, my grace is sufficient. My power is made known in your weakness. Dr. Warren Wisby, who went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago, was one of my very favorite preachers. And in his commentary on this verse, Dr. Wisby says, it was a message of sufficient grace, sufficient grace. If God's grace is sufficient to save us, surely it's sufficient to keep us and strengthen us in our time of suffering, sufficient grace. It was a message of strengthening grace, strengthening grace. God permits us to become weak so that we might receive his strength. This is a continuing process. And then he quotes uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 from the NIV. My power is being made perfect in your weakness. It's a continual process. Listen to what he says. This sounds so much like Dr. Wiersbe. Strength that knows itself to be strength is actually weakness. But weakness that knows itself to be weakness is actually strength. Whoa. When life knocks you down, don't be surprised. When life knocks you down, keep praying. The song was right. Ere you left this room this morning, did you think to pray? But there's another great truth in this text. When life knocks you down, keep getting up. When life knocks you down, keep getting up. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4? When we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. 
We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Paul is saying, I have been pressured. I have been perplexed. I have been persecuted. I have been put down, but I am not broken. I will not give in. I will not quit. I keep getting up. William Barclay says, the supreme characteristic of the Christian is not that he does not fall, but every time he falls, he rises again. It's not that he's never beaten, but he is ultimately never defeated. He may lose a battle, but he knows that in the end, he can never lose the war. Amen? Now, the only way that we can keep getting up boils down to one word, perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. The word persevere means to bear under the load, to bear underneath the load. The load is on you, but you bear it. When life is just crushing you, you bear up under the load. By the grace of God. Let me tell you a true story. Now, all my stories are true, but this one is true. <laughs> this one is true. <laughs> About a little dog named Oscar. When Oscar was six months old, his, his owner was uprooting some plum trees with a backhoe. And Oscar was running around, yelping, enjoying all this. And all of a sudden, it was real quiet. And the guy working the backhoe thought, I have buried Oscar. And he got out and he dug and there was some fur and he dug and he found Oscar and he, he took the dirt off him and Oscar shook it off. But Oscar survived being buried alive. Later he was bitten on the head by a rattlesnake, but Oscar survived. It wasn't long after that he was run over by one of those large commercial lawnmowers. It's got six blades. He went through that thing out the other side, but Oscar survived. After that, he had kidney failure, but he does doggy dialysis once a week. But Oscar survived. He was out with the boys, and they were chasing and shooting jackrabbits. And he got just a little too close. And one of the boys didn't lead far enough with his aim. And a 22 bullet went through his shoulder, down his chest, out his leg, and shot one of his toes off. But Oscar survived. Oscar was hit by a car, blinded him in his right eye, but Oscar survived. Being blind on his right side, he was hit by another car, broke two of his legs, but Oscar survived. Have you ever felt like Oscar? <laughs> I actually saw this. <laughs> I actually saw this. Lost one dog, blind in one eye, three legs, no tail, recently neutered, answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> Ever felt like Lucky? Regardless how difficult life may be, when we give up, it guarantees one thing, failure, failure. Jesus said in Luke 21, by your endurance, you will gain your life. Now, the word endurance there is the same word as 
persevere. Now, I have just finished reading three books about George Washington. A lot of the stuff you hear about George Washington is a myth. And a lot of stuff that you don't hear about George Washington, you should. I don't have time to give you a history lesson. I wish I did. George Washington was the greatest president we ever had for a lot of reasons. Next to him would be Abraham Lincoln. And next to him would be Harry Truman. You know that. So... George Washington believed that this country survived because of perseverance. In Joseph Ellis' great biography entitled His Excellency, they, that's what they called George Washington, the Revolutionary War, His Excellency General Washington. He says in that book that George Washington believed this country was found, and these are George Washington's words, on the abiding core of perseverance on the abiding core of perseverance because George Washington's Continental Army was untrained we never had an army before it was underfunded it was underfed it was under equipped some of those soldiers at Valley Forge had no shoes and it is true there were blood prints footprints in the snow at Valley Forge because those guys didn't have any shoes and here they were against the most elite army in the world, the British army. But they persevered. Listen to what Ellis says. Washington not only saluted their suffering at Valley Forge, but also recognized their staying power as the decisive factor in the eventual American victory. Here was George Washington's lesson on life. A central lesson on his life, this is what Washington lived by. Survive and you will succeed. Survive and you will succeed. Seem to be holding true in those months after Valley Forge. Survive and you will succeed. Washington lived by that. That's how we won the Revolutionary War. That's why we have a United States. Survive and you will succeed. Good words to live by, isn't it? Maybe Washington learned them from Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you're looking for life, you have to persevere. You have to keep getting up. You have to keep, and how do you get up, LD? How do you keep getting up? Stay connected to Jesus, amen? Stay connected to Jesus. Look what he said, Paul said. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. That verse tells us when we make contact with Jesus, he forgives our sins, and he comes into our life, then we participate in the perseverance of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we press on. That's great news because Jesus never gave up and he never gave in. And that perseverance is ours. Oh, my, when you are living with when you have to put up with a person who just makes your life hell, how do you do that through the perseverance of Jesus? You, you continue to love that child who's mean and, and aggravates and hard to live with and unlovable. How do you do that? In Jesus' name, we press on. And, and that's how. That's how folks our age cope with old age. Not fun, is it? The guy who said these are the golden years ought to be hung and quartered. <laughs> There's nothing golden about them except the money I pay my doctor to keep me patched up. 
But you see, God has a plan. And even all the pressures and the problems and the pain, he has a plan. And when he has a plan, there is hope. There is hope. And as long as we have hope, we can persevere in Jesus' name. When life knocks you down, stay connected to Jesus. But when life knocks you down, stay connected to God's people. Stay connected to God's people. The writer of Hebrews says, you should not stay away from church, as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord is getting closer. Now, we gather to worship, but we often forget. We often forget that text. That's not a text on church attendance. That is a text about coming together to worship, to encourage one another, to speak to one another, to lift one another up. Christians come together. Yes, we come together for worship, but we come to stay connected to one another. It amazes me. It amazed me when I started doing this 55 years ago. It still amazes me after 55 years that sometimes when people are in life's difficulty, they just drop out of church. I don't understand that. Never have. They cut themselves off from the very source of encouragement. I have preached every Sunday after I buried a dear loved one in my family. Not that I was macho. No, no, no. But I needed to be here. I needed to be with you. I needed what you had to offer me. I come in crippling. I needed you to strengthen me with your words of encouragement. I had to be here. Because this is where the compassion is. This is where the grace is. This is where the hope is. This is where the encouragement and the healing and the love is. So when life knocks you down, please, for God's sake, don't cut yourself off from the very source of encouragement. We are pressured, oh yeah, perplexed, persecuted, put down. So how do we keep our heads up when life just knocks us down? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Oh, Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble. Keep praying. Keep praying. Prayer gives us the power of God's grace. And when life blows up, can we withstand the explosion and survive? Yes, we can. Like that survivor tree. It withstood the explosion, the bomb that destroyed that building, but it survived. We can survive, and we can thrive in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we press on. Amen? Pray with me. Father, all of us know what it means to have problems and pain. We know what it's like when life is difficult. But I am grateful for your plan for us. I pray for those here who are hurting, who are experiencing severe, severe problems. Life has just blown up in their face, and their back is to the wall. Help them to lean into your grace. Comfort them. 
and through prayer give them a new perspective on their pain and difficulties and give them the ability to keep on keeping on in your grace. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, in Jesus' name we press on. Come and sing it for us, Gary.